Yeah, I want to start with an announcement that uh, next Sunday at 1215, we'll be having a guest welcome. We have these about once a month. And so for those of you who are newer here, uh, and we haven't had much of a chance to connect, or maybe you're older here and we've never had much of a chance to connect, uh, it's a time when uh, Colin and I go into the kitchen and uh, are just kind of spend some time together. So if uh, next Sunday, 1215, following the second service, come on in for for uh, some cookies and punch, and we'll, uh, we'll spend a little time together. I'd love to get to know you a little bit better. You know, sometimes things get stuck in my heart as a pastor as far as uh, caring for you guys and praying for you guys. And last week we prayed for these many new believers who have come to Jesus here over the last couple months, which is very exciting. And uh, this week I've had kind of stuck in my prayer heart, if you will, uh, people who have over, you know, maybe even the last year, have suffered loss. You know, and maybe some, someone in your life has passed away. Uh, maybe, maybe your marriage ended. Maybe you lost your job. But you're just a person who says, you know, I feel like I've suffered loss. And you've been on my heart this week. And I'd like for us just to spend a couple of minutes just praying for you. If you're comfortable, we're going to pray for you whether you do this or not. But if you're comfortable and would just lift up your hand saying, I'd like like that kind of a prayer right where you are. And just look around you guys and hold your hand up for a minute so the people around you can see you. And uh, so now look at the people whose hands are up and Would you just lock in kind of on somebody? Okay, you can put your hands down. Father, in Jesus' name, we pray for these this morning who you know, Lord, my my pastor's heart just hurts for them. And they've, uh, they've suffered loss, losses, some of which I know and most of which I'm not even aware of. But my heart just releases faith for them now, and we agree together as believers in Jesus that the God of all comfort will come for them now. That the Holy Spirit, the Counselor, will come and bless them in the deepest places in their hearts. And that all of this loss, and all that goes with that, Lord, the grief, all of the trauma, Sometimes the guilt, all the stuff that comes with loss, Lord, I pray that you will come and minister to with your comforting hand now. We believe for this, Lord. This is a holy moment, and we believe that you want to comfort your people. And so we pray for them now. We hold them up to you for your sustaining, comforting encouraging power now in Jesus name. Amen. Amen church. Okay, so prepare to gasp. Today I want to talk to you for a few minutes about Jesus Christ. Good gasp. You didn't really sound sound that surprised. Actually, I don't want to talk to you about Jesus Christ. I want to convey some words of Jesus that he said about himself to you. 
Because I'm a lot more interested in you hearing things from Jesus yourself than you processing things that I or anybody else says about Jesus. And uh, I think an essential part of being a Christian is to understand, to the extent that it's possible, who Jesus is and what kind of a relationship he's really even offering to us as Savior and Lord of our lives. And so I have some especially good news for you in that Jesus was very generous when he was here in uh, making statements about himself that, that paint a picture and create opportunity for us to know him in the ways that he desired and desires to be known. Uh, Jesus was generous in the use of the, a phrase where he would say, I am something. And in saying, I am something, I've told you before, to try to pay very close attention whenever Jesus says, I am. Because he's, he's about to tell us something about his nature and character that we cannot afford to miss and that will prosper so much in our hearts, our souls, our lives when we, uh, when we get, get ourselves around whatever Jesus says, I am. And so some of you are familiar with things that Jesus said, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and for some of you who have been around the Bible for a while, those are, those are familiar to you. But many of you are newer to the Bible, and so this is going to be an exciting adventure for you and just getting into the revelation of what God is saying to you by inspiring his son Jesus Christ to say these things. In my own studies of the Gospels, I've isolated 18 different uh, ways in which Jesus somehow employed the use of the phrase, I am, to tell us something about himself. And, um, you know, I, I'm not going to commit myself to 18 weeks of doing these one at a time because pretty much everybody in the room knows that my attention span isn't that long. But I would like to spend some time unpacking these phrases because... You know, my goal is, is one thing. My goal is one thing for all of you all the time. And my goal is that every one of you would get to know Jesus better. The living reality of Jesus Christ. I want you to know him better. That's the singular goal of my ministry. Is I want you to know, know Jesus better. So today I'd like to fix our eyes on an audacious claim that Jesus made about himself when he openly said, I am God. I'm God. I think everything has to start here. Everything has to begin here because everything else that Jesus says is somehow affected by this audacious statement, I am God. And so we really really have to begin there. That Jesus is God. He was God. He is God. And so the relationship that we're being offered is a relationship with God. And so everything that Jesus ever said was something that was said by God. Jesus came to the earth as God. 
You know, a, a television show that I've seen a few times, and I really like it, but I don't, I don't even know if it's still on. It's called Undercover Boss. Anybody ever watch this show? That just cracks me up, right? And if you don't know, here's how the show goes. There's like this CEO of some big company who changes his or her appearance in some way and, you know, Groucho Marx glasses or something and, and goes, infiltrates the rank and file of the company and becomes uh, uh, an entry-level employee so that their perspective on the whole thing can... Uh, the whole company can change or somehow be affected by that. And it's, you know, they, they, so they do all kinds of things. You know, they, 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 they join the line or they're at the loading dock or something like that. And, and in every single case, at least the three or four that I've seen, in every single case, uh, this, this CEO comes away with this remarkable perspective of compassion and concern and understanding for the plight of the people who are making him rich. And it changes. It changes the whole thing. And so for working people, for blue-collar folks like us, you know, it's like, yeah, it's about time. Undercover boss. Is that what Jesus was doing here? Was he like God, undercover boss? Groucho Marx, glasses on. God with a different haircut. What's Jesus doing here? If Jesus was God, what was that even about? Well, please turn in your Bibles to John chapter 8, and we'll get some perspective on that. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to John chapter 8. John is one of the Gospels in the New Testament. It's the fourth book of the New Testament. John chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 48, work through 59, and, and see if we can get hold of that. John chapter 8. And while you're turning there, I think that it's important to establish the context of this passage. And what you're about to read is a portion of an argument. An argument, a polemic, an argument that's going on between, between Jesus and they're called the Jews here, but we can see that they're the Pharisees. And uh, in the Gospel of John, uh, he doesn't make quite as much fuss about the Pharisees in the ways that the Synoptic Gospels do. He does refer to the Pharisees now and then. But he, he more often uh, distinguishes the two groups as the Jews, who didn't accept him, such as John chapter 1, where it says, yet his own did not receive him. Uh, and, and like in John chapter 8, verse 31, take a look since you're on your way there, to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said. So, so the big contrast in the Gospel of John is about the Jews, who it's kind of understood were, were resisting him, and, uh, and then the Jews who did believe him. But in this particular case that I'm about to read, it was the Pharisees, because even though they just referred to the Jews in our passage, but if you look at verse 13 of John 8, because this is a continuing argument, it says the Pharisees challenged him. So this sets the whole mood and context of the passage uh, that we're about that we're about to look here, look at here, and uh, we're just being made uh, privy to an argument that's going on between them. And what what's happening here is that the Pharisees were trying to categorize and minimize Jesus. They were trying to dial him down to make him manageable. And the Pharisees, as you'll notice, were always trying to fit Jesus into their worldview. 
They came with a preconceived worldview, and they said, okay, well, that's who Jesus is, and here's how you're going to fit. But Jesus always refused to fit into their mold. And so it was always blowing their minds and causing all kinds of problems. Uh, and, And throughout history, we can see that the church has tried to come to Jesus with a worldview and justify the things that we have done as a Christian church, some of them atrocities visited on the earth, and we've justified them in the name of Jesus because we came to Jesus with a preconceived worldview and tried to fit Jesus into it rather than just go and surrender before the Lord and say, Lord, would you come in and would you violate all my categories? Would you get into every part of my heart and life and would you create my worldview? And so what's happening here is these Pharisees are once again challenging Jesus. They think they're smarter than him. They think they can rein him in. And they're trying to find a place to put Jesus in this mess of a thing that they've created. John chapter 8, verse 48. The Jews answered him, again in the course of the previous part of the argument, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? Well, you know, let's just say what you're feeling here, right? I mean, going right for the throat. To call him a Samaritan would be like you calling somebody a Wolverine, you know? And so you're getting the feel of what they just said to him, right? Aren't you a Samaritan? But not only that, not only are you not one of us, and not only are you of a lower class humanity than us is what they're saying, but you're demon-possessed. I mean, what worse thing could you say to God in the flesh? What worse thing could you say? So you see why this thing is ramping up to the, to the levels that it is. Jesus said, I'm not possessed by a demon, but I honor my Father and you dishonor me. I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. I tell you the truth, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. At this the Jews exclaimed, now we know that you're demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps your word, he'll never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? What a slow pitch to Jesus, right? (laughs) This is perfect. This is just a lob. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Well, Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, who you claim is your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him. He says, I know him. If I said I did not, you know, if I claimed I didn't know him, he said, I would be a liar like you. (laughs) Speaking the truth in love. But I do know him and keep his word And your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. Whoa. Verse 57. Yet you are not, they they respond. You are not yet 50 years old, the Jews said to him. And you have seen Abraham? Buckle up. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, Before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away 
from the temple grounds. Before, I tell, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even a twinkle in the father's eye, I was there. Why? Because I am. And those of you who have been in the Old Testament much, you know what he was talking about. He was referring to the unpronounceable name of God, which we pronounce as Yahweh, but the ancient Jews wouldn't even pronounce it. It was unpronounceable because there were no vowels in it. The best we can do to transliterate it is YWH. But Jesus was saying, you know, before Abraham was, I was God. I was God. This is an extraordinary part of our faith for me, that Jesus is God. This is an extraordinary part of our faith. I mean, not that God could somehow become man, not just that, but that he did. That he loved Matt so much and was so committed to reaching to you that he came for you. He didn't send somebody. I mean, he sent his son, but his son was him. Part of the massive ambiguity of the Trinity, right? It just is an extraordinary thought to me, you guys, that Jesus, that Jesus is God so that God loved you so much that he came himself to rescue you, Ron Whitney. He came to rescue you to say, I'm Jesus Christ, here to get you out. Let's go, try and keep up. In John chapter 1, in the same gospel, this thing just rolls right out with the big guns. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So you have this equivocation of, uh, or equivalence of uh, the Word and the Word being God. And then if you keep reading, it just says more about it. And in verse 14, this crescendo comes. It says, and the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we've seen his glory, the glory of the only begotten who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. It's amazing, extraordinary reality that Jesus is God. And it changes everything in the grand perspective of world religions and religious traditions in the world. It changes everything that Jesus is God. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 says this, The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. That Jesus is God. There's so much we could say. Go to Philippians chapter 2, but we don't have time about how Jesus coming, he gave up his right to be God so that he could do the thing that needed to be done. But you kind of work through this, don't you? And you think, okay, Jesus is God. I'm trying, I'm trying to deal with that. I'm trying to deal with that. I'm trying to, I'm trying to get hold of that. But kind of don't you want to just go, so what does that mean? What's, what difference does that make for me? Kind of like, so... I'm going to make two suggestions. One, if Jesus is God, then we should expect our relationship with him to be rich with mystery and speckled with ambiguity. Did you hear what I just said? If Jesus is God, we should, you know, you say, I don't don't, don't like the words you use. Okay. If Jesus is God, then we shouldn't be surprised that we can't figure it all out. 
and that we have lots of places where we go and we go, I don't know. I don't know. You know, ambiguity, that things aren't completely answerable. They're sort of like, yeah, yeah. I mean, Jesus here himself, he says, I don't bring glory to myself, I bring glory to God. And then he says a few verses later, and I'm God. Well, then don't you bring glory to yourself? No. That's ambiguous. But the fact that he's God, it shouldn't surprise us if we can't sort it all out. In fact, we should delight in it. That's how I know it's God. I remember as a young pastor, one of my greatest fears, a brand new, you know, freshly minted pastor. One of my greatest fears was somebody's going to ask me something about God or the Bible and I won't know the answer. You probably never had a thought like that, huh? And man, it happened all the time. (laughs) It's like, yeah, I'll find out for you. And then as time goes on and And my relationship with God grew deeper and deeper and deeper. And I discovered that the most I ever knew was the day I graduated from seminary, and it's been getting worse since. (laughs) That as I walk with God, I discover how little I know. And there's this great freedom. I I now rejoice when somebody asks me a question because I go, I don't know. (laughs) Isn't that great? you get it figured out let me know okay you know people who say claim that they can explain things like fully explain the trinity or fully explain the divinity of jesus people who make those claims i can explain that to you they make me a little nervous don't they make you nervous because in the end it's god we're talking about what does it even mean that God was in the, in the person of Jesus? Does it mean that all of God somehow was compressed into one human being? Somebody told me recently that there, there is more computing power in my cell phone than was available to all of NASA to put Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin on the moon. I don't know if that's true or not, but it sounds cool, doesn't it? <laughs> You're just amazing, Peter. I don't, I don't know how you do it. It's good to know you're listening, though. Oh, I, I got my own. And I should know better than debate him, right? So I don't know if that's true or not, but all of this computing power now condensed down into a cell phone. Is that what it means that... You know, how many of you remember when we first got our, our PCs and we had that five and a quarter inch floppy drives, you know, and they really were floppy, right? And you could put like, like what, 326 something bytes on it. And then we got the little floppy drives that weren't floppy, but we just kept calling them floppy drives. They were the three and a quarter, three and a half or something like that. And they would hold like five times that much, like 1.44, what was it, megabytes? And it's like, oh boy, now we can carry the world around, right? And now we go and we get the jump drive, the flash drive, the 64 gigabyte, just like that, that you hold in your hand. 64 gigabytes is like 44,000 of those little disks, right? And we go, boy, I hope I don't fill it up too quick. I have to get a couple of these things. All of that 
condensed down into this little thing. Is that what it means? Is that what it means that Jesus was God? All of God is just condensed down. We got a little pocket God now. You see how dangerous that is? You see how dangerous that is to even think that way? And what we're trying to do is we're trying to mingle two separate realities. And we're trying to fully understand God, explain God, a totally spiritual, infinite, eternal reality in terms of that which is finite and earthly. And so when we think we've got it cornered, run away. Run away. We can't explain God in these ways. You know, it's like the difference between regular physics, classical physics, and quantum physics. You know, weren't you thinking that? Right now, weren't you just thinking that? Well, you know, let's think about physics. You went to school and you learned that physics is about determining the amount of force that it will take to move an object up an inclined plane when you consider the factors like the angle, the mass, and the coefficient of friction, right? Right? Sure. And you use that all the time, right? And that's like, okay, so you got this, you got this definable kind of reality. You got a rock you need to move up the hill. You got a car. How's that all work? And you can plug in numbers and go, well, you're going to need 17 mats to do this or whatever, right? Or one mat. You never know. But then quantum physics is like, yeah, but can, can matter exist as, or can a thing exist as a particle and a wave at the same time? Now that's exciting, right? And it's... <laughs> I feel like I've lost a whole bunch of you. You're, you're, you're tracking. Okay, Charlie, this is all, all for you, brother. So, I mean, I mean, it just changes everything because it moves it into this, not just a conceptual realm, but like a whole other set of rules. And quantum physics is just, is just so rife with, uh, with ambiguity and, and possibilities, that right now, Chet Plummer is existing both as particles and waves at the same time. That's pretty exciting stuff. And that's how we need to think about God. He's not like, he can't be quantified in this way. But we have to move to a whole different kingdom reality. You know, one of the things that I love to do on my farm is to plow snow. I love it when it snows. And I have, as many of you know, almost a half a mile long driveway. And I have a 50-year-old tractor. And I have a blade on the back of it. And so when it snows, I get out there in all my clothes. I'm just seeing through these little holes. Right? Got snow to plow. And that is such a cool time for me. And, you know, when I, when I do that, I don't take any time to sort of calculate where I'm going to set the throttle according to the density and depth of the snow. I could, I suppose. Calculate how much force you get from the internal combustion and the pistons throwing down in the crankshaft, going through the transfer case into the first gear transmission, how much it's going to take to get these 38-inch wheels to move around to pull that thing. It could be calculated. And I could know exactly where to put that thing, right? But I don't. Because that's not why I'm out there. I'm out there for the other side. I'm out there because, man, when I fire that old tractor up and starts every time, 
And I fire that thing up, and it snowed. We got six, eight inches of snow, and I drop that thing down, and I'm moving along, and I look back, and snow is just flying. Oh, yeah. Mm. And I put that exactly where I want it to be to have the experience that I want to have. There are no calculations. And it's maybe dark out, and there's a full moon, and I'm moving that snow, and I'm seeing it fly off of there. And I don't think about regular physics. I think about, is it really true that of these billions of snowflakes that I'm moving right now, is it really true that no two of them are alike? And how could a person even know such a thing? (laughs) And the moon on the crest of the new fallen snow gives a luster of midday to objects below. I just... (laughs) I just made that up. And that's why I'm out there. Jesus is God. I am not going to spend my life worrying about the ambiguities and the parts that I don't get. Of course there are parts that I'm not going to get. There are parts of Karen I don't get. That was a silent pause, Bill. (laughs) Hello? I mean, what are you in this for, really? Are you in this so that you can get a handle on God? Good luck. Are you in this for that reason? I think sometimes as Christians we make claims like Jesus is God as though we even know what we're talking about. I have to say that my brain is not all right with the reality that Jesus is God. My brain isn't good with that. It creates too many unanswerable questions. But my heart loves it. My heart loves it. And I have enough of the questions answered in my brain to open up my heart to Jesus. Do you? Well, the second thing is... is If Jesus is God, then we should expect him to be able to handle anything we ever encounter. (laughs) Ever. Yes? If he's God, we should expect Jesus to be able to handle anything that we ever encounter. I mean, what could there possibly be that would overpower or surprise him? When would Jesus ever say, oh, didn't see that one coming, sorry. (laughs) When did Jesus, when would, when could, Jesus is God, when could he ever say, You know, that's the one thing I can't do. Never. And this should characterize our walk with him is that there's nothing that we will ever encounter that could possibly overpower him. If it's true that Jesus is God, and if it's true that Jesus is crazy in love with you, then what would you ever have to possibly sweat about? How big is your Jesus? That's where it begins. He said, I'm God. Is he that big? Did you know that he's God? Do you see why Jesus can't just be classified as one of many great moral teachers? Do you see this now? Let let me drive it home to you. Because he can't possibly be a great moral teacher. Because he said he's God. And if he's not, he's a liar, which doesn't make you a very good moral teacher, does it? Did you follow that? 
He can't, as so many say, Jesus was a great moral teacher. He was a terrible moral teacher unless he's God. There are those who say Jesus was one of many great prophets, whether it's in the Judeo-Christian or the Judeo-tradition of the time, or whether in all the religious streams of the earth, Jesus was one of many great prophets. No great prophet would say, by the way, I'm God. C.S. Lewis said it so well. Jesus is either the Lord, he's a liar, or he's a lunatic. Take your choice. He's either the Lord, God in the flesh, who came to set you free, or he's, as C.S. Lewis likes to say, somewhere along the order of a poached egg. You don't get to pick anywhere in between. I was just wondering a couple of things as we move into ministry. Are you really going to wait until you understand, think you understand everything about God before you trust in him as your savior? Is that really what you're waiting for? Well, I have a lot of more questions. You know, once you trust him, you'll have a lot, a lot of more questions. But you got eternity to sort it out in the context of a love relationship with him. So if you're a person here today who says, all right, I'm ready to make that cross. I realize that even if all my questions were answered, there'd still be a leap of faith. I'll make the leap of faith today, and I'm going to ask Jesus Christ into my heart as my Savior and as my Lord. If you're a person here today, we're ready to help you with that. But also the other question is, what are you facing that you need the God Jesus to deal with in your life? What news are you working with? What reality, what information do you have? What are the circumstances of your life Say, I need, the, I need Jesus the God to move in that. I need God to move in that. We're here for you. And we want to pray with you. So I'd like for some of our prayer ministry people to come on up right now and make yourselves available on both sides. Just get up from where you are at this very second. And these guys will be with you to pray with you. If you'd like to come to Jesus today and ask Jesus to be Savior and Lord of your life, these guys will pray with you. If you'd like to have prayer for any issue in your life, you just need God to move in your life. You're, what's going to happen when you come up? You're, they're going to come up and they're going to ask you one question. What are we praying about? And you're going to tell them. And they'll take it from there. That's all you need to know. Father, I pray now in the name of Jesus that your Holy Spirit will will continue to move here among us as God. We, we want to know you, Lord. It's you that we seek. It's you that we're thirsty and hungry for, and we want to know you. And I love these people, Lord, and I pray for every person who's here. It doesn't matter to me where they are with respect to you. For the ones who are close and the ones who are far, I love them the same, and I pray that today the power of your Holy Spirit would move every person to make exactly the kind of faith response that you want to have with them now. So we invite you, Holy Spirit, now to come as we respond to you in worship and in ministry. I pray your anointing power on each one of these people who's going to be praying for these. And we pray, Father, that you will bring full glory to your name by what's about to happen here in these next few minutes. We pray in Jesus' name.